Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow, mad cow, mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Sign Guy Nation, welcome to the show on another Friday afternoon. Sign Guy with you here, Coach Mike Jones on assignment, I believe, from Puyallup, Washington. He loves it in Puyallup. It's one of his main passions in life. Some show notes if you're looking for some professional wrestling in the next couple of days. Tonight, WCWO at 1151 South Kentucky Avenue in Indianapolis, Indiana. FGW in Hamilton, Ohio tonight featuring the debut of Abby the Crusher. You also have SOS Wrestling tonight in Tacoma, Washington. And a debuting company, RIPW in Denver, Colorado. Tomorrow night. MSWA in Rockwood, Tennessee. You also have Brew City Wrestling in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. CPW running Theatrical Wrestling in Arlington, Washington. Our very own Dimitri will be on hand for that as well, I believe, as Coach Mike Jones. Tomorrow night you can find myself at Northwest Pro in Vaughn, Washington, along with our very own J.B. Moonshine and our very own Randy Zellers, a.k.a. Taekwon Bro. Also tomorrow night, Emerge Wrestling back in Columbus, Indiana, that one featuring former Washington State heavyweight champion Paragon. So get out there, find some local wrestling to support. If there's anything near you, there are tons and tons and tons and tons of shows. I just scratched a bit of the surface for you, but I want to bring our guest on right away today. He is wrestling out of the state of Indiana by way of England. Preston Churchill, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you very much. It's good to be on. Well, it is your first time with us, and so that means I'm going to give you our traditional first-timer question. What led to you getting into the business of professional wrestling? Uh, honestly, uh, I remember I remember watching it when I was a lad, and, you know, uh, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, uh, leading into the Attitude Area with, uh, sorry, Era with, um, you know, The Undertaker, and, and Mick Foley. Mick Foley was actually my biggest inspiration. Now, in England, there is a very, very long storied history of professional wrestling dating back many decades. There is a particular style that a lot of Americans associate with professional wrestling out of England that being, of course, more of a mat-based, submission-based style. But you still had people like Big Daddy Crabtree and Loch Ness that were just massive men that would just brawl with you. So there's more to it than that. 
when you started wrestling in the United States, did you think that you got sort of typecast as far as what type of wrestler you would be being from England, or did you think that people gave you more of a benefit of doubt as far as what style you would bring to the table? Oh, they, they definitely gave me more of a benefit of the doubt. I mean, I was a lot thinner. I was, I was a lot more agile. And, I mean, I could do a lot more um, than I do now. Now, there was a lot of, uh, as, as you guys call it, catches can catch or just catch wrestling. I did a lot of that um, and certainly a lot of brawling. That's how I ended up with the nickname the British Brawler. But, um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I certainly wouldn't say I was tight cast. I was definitely given uh, more more freedom to uh, to do what I could do, what I found out I could do, and, uh, you know, um, just things kind of, you know, uh, I ended up being the brawler uh, as I got older. Uh, you talk about the WWE Attitude Era being a massive inspiration to you to get into professional wrestling. Were you influenced at all or inspired at all by the very popular wide world of sport there in England, which was televised in England and had so many big stars out of that? Um, a bit, yeah. Um, I, 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 was, I was very young when we left England, um, and so I ended up growing up uh, my teenage years, especially in the Americas. So um, uh, it, it definitely had more of a bearing uh, when I was younger uh, than, than it did in my older, uh, my later childhood. Now you have primarily wrestled in the Midwest part of the United States, and as an Englishman. I'm sure you've noticed there are not a lot of English people in that area. What gravitated you towards that part of the world? Um, well, I started uh, training, and the, my first several years um, were actually in uh, Georgia, South Carolina. Um, that's where, again, you know, I grew, I grew up my later, my later teen years. Um, I, I ended up moving. To northern Indiana because uh, there, was, there was a girl on that, and we ended up getting married, uh, buying a house, having a kid, and then um, she she left. So uh, I got the house and uh, got you know 50% custody of my son, and uh, well you know that's well I'm still here. Now the south part of the United States is often a very volatile place as far as fans are concerned. It's not quite as common anymore, but a generation or two ago, wrestlers would have to worry about being stabbed by fans or having things thrown at them during the matches, things of that nature. But fans in that area still tend to be a little bit more aggressive than in other parts of the country. When you were starting out, particularly being someone from outside of their home country, did you have many instances where you had to contend with angry or aggressive fans? Oh, absolutely. I had things thrown at me. Uh, I had some very, very, uh, uh, very uncouth things called 
uh, I even, in one instance, I was chased out of the arena uh, by a, a woman with a Bible. So, uh, yes, I, I, I definitely had my share of uh, rough, rough goings with the fans uh, in the South. Now, also, the state of Indiana is known as a hotbed of wrestling. It goes back to the days of Dick the Bruiser and Wilbur Schneider's old territory, which encompassed the entire state of Indiana. The fans there liked a lot of brawling. They liked a lot of blood in the matches. On shows that you do, do you see a lot of that type of fan where they like a good brawl, they like a lot of bloodshed, a lot of hard-hitting action, or do you see more modern-day fans of like more technical wrestling or high-flying wrestling on the shows that you're currently doing? Well, I mean, I've got a pretty decent fan base, uh, fan following, uh, who like my particular style, the brawling, the punches, the headbutts, um, and whatnot, Um, but I mean, wrestling is a variety show. You know, there's a little bit of everyone because not everyone likes uh, the same thing, you know. Um, You've got the high flyers, and they've got a a big following. You've got the guys like me who, you know, uh, speak loud and hit hard, and, you know, we've got a big following. You've got the the technical uh, wrestlers, and they've got, I mean, so I'd say it's an even balance. Now, of course... Being someone from outside of the country, you don't see a lot of the English wrestlers. I know Earl Joseph uh, is helping to produce OVW now, and he started out managing and ring announcing in Indiana and is of English descent. Do you come across very many independent wrestlers on shows you do that have ties to Britain, or are you pretty much the lone representative there? Uh, for the most part, uh, yeah, I'd say I'm the lone, uh, the only one. Um, I've run into one or two, but, I mean, it's very, very rare. On the United States, we've had a lot of famous British wrestlers, uh, Davey Boy Smith, Billy Robinson, Chris Adams, Loch Ness was here in WCW for a while. Of course, William Regal, Pac, just to name a small handful. Of all the wrestlers that gravitated towards the United States for extended periods, which do you think was the greatest of the British wrestlers? Uh, obviously, you know, I, I remember watching David Boy Smith, uh, huge fan of him when I was a little, uh, a little boy. Uh, William Regal uh, was always a fantastic uh, performer to watch as well. Um, so, probably one of those two. On the flip side of that, looking at the long-storied history of English wrestling, do you think that there is someone that is the greatest British wrestler of all time that never 
came to the United States to ply their trade that American fans may not necessarily know, but should definitely research? Um, probably, probably Big Daddy. You know, I'd say very Big good Daddy. Choice. What's that? That's a very good choice. A lot of uh, famous wrestlers started out tag teaming with Big Daddy, actually. Now, one of the things that all wrestlers end up having to contend with at some point in time or another is the occasional injury, whether it's something major or just some minor bump and bruise or broken bone. Everyone goes through the injuries at some point. What are some of the injuries that you've had thus far in your career? Well, I've had... uh... I had a few concussions, and um, probably the, the biggest one for me was when I, when I tore my meniscus uh, in late 2015. I ended up having to have surgery on that in 2016, so I was out most of the year, uh, 2016, because of that. One of the things that wrestlers have to do in order to be able to do what we do is maintain a good cardiovascular conditioning, whether it's using an elliptical machine or just going out and jogging every day or whatever other method an individual wrestler chooses. What's your cardiovascular regimen like? Uh, Well, um, I'll hit the gym uh, three times a week. And I'm on the elliptical between 30 to 40 minutes, uh, three times a week. On the flip side of that, weight training is also usually very important to a wrestler's ability to do what he does. What's your weight training like these days? Well, I move furniture um, when I'm not in the ring, so I do a lot. I don't really have a um, in-gym uh, regiment of that right now, but, I mean, I move furniture every day. Uh, power reclining sofas, leather sofas, uh, kings, you know, king-size mattresses. So um, I'd say my upper body is probably, as far as my arm strength, shoulders and all that, I'd probably say um, that's probably the, the strongest I've ever been uh, upper body-wise. Tag team wrestling is something that sort of ebbs and flows in wrestling. Sometimes it's extremely popular. Other times it dies down in popularity. But it's always there. It's always an option for a wrestler to do. Do you have a personal preference when it comes to tag team wrestling versus singles wrestling? My preference is to go it alone, to have it a singles match. But, I mean, like you said, um, sometimes, you know, uh, it's necessary to to have a teammate and to to team up, um, you know, in the two tag team or wrestling. But, yeah, I I prefer it in singles. 
Now, you've wrestled for quite a while. I'm sure you've seen your fair share of opponents, probably a wide variety of experience levels and talent and so forth. Who would you say has been the most famous wrestler that you've ever competed against thus far? The most famous. Oh. Well, well <laughs> I've, I've worked shows with a lot of big names, and uh, but a lot of times it's the bookers bringing them in to work them themselves. Um, I've wrestled Ox Baker Jr. quite a bit. Um, we did a show where Ox Baker, the original, was there. Um, Uh, I worked Osiris, who is also Congo Kong. I worked him probably 12 years ago. So, yeah. Osiris is going to be always famous with me no matter what. I love him. Al. He's a good man. He's a good He absolutely is. One of my favorite people. Ox Baker someone that you mentioned is famous in wrestling for having the heart punch that led to the demise of two wrestlers. He had that aura about him after that and was always one of the most feared people in the sport. When he was on a show with you, did you still feel that aura coming from him that he was, someone to be feared even though he was more advanced and aged at that point or had things changed a little bit for Ox at that point? When I met him, it was only a few years before he passed. So while I still had a great deal of respect for him, I definitely wouldn't say there was a, an aura of fear, but definitely a great, great deal of respect. I mean, it was just, it was amazing to just be in the same gymnasium with him. Also, I'm sure you've been on shows within Indiana that have featured a lot of the second-generation performers, Ox Baker Jr., like you mentioned, Bobo Brazil Jr., a staple in Indiana, Indiana Kid Jr., Indiana Kid Jr., Jr., uh, Quicksilver has sons that are in the wrestling business, Dick the Bruiser Jr. is out your way. There's a lot of second and even third generation talent in Indiana, especially compared to other areas. What do you think it is in your general area that attracts so many second and third generation performers to the business? Well, I mean, one thing that I hear all the time, even when I'm out shopping um, at the mart, you know, for groceries and whatnot, um, you know, if people, uh, you know, share the conversation and it's, oh, I remember seeing Dick the Bruiser at Ox Baker down at the Northside Gym. Um, that is still, even though they were little or it was, you know, the dads, down, you know, the, the moms and dads that were taking them, you know, um, you know, uh, that is still very much in people's memories. In the in the it, it, it's you know almost the law now, folklore that you know the 
Dick DeBruzzo and Oaks Baker and, 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 you know, and so many others come through here and, and wrestled just at the Northside Gym. So uh, the, the second generation and, like you said, even the third generations now are, 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 are remembering that or hearing those stories and are wanting to recreate that. Um, you know, it's in their blood. It's in their family line. Um, you know, it, it's their passion. Al, you mentioned a son. Will you eventually be bringing him into the family business, or has there been no real interest shown? I mean, it's up to him. I mean, he he, he loved it when he was a little tight. He's uh, almost eleven now. Um, you know, he's one. You know, he he likes this. He likes that. Um, he he still likes to go to shows with me. Uh, his mom was a wrestler, so um, you know uh, it's it's definitely in his blood, um, and he he has expressed interest in the past. Um, you know, uh, I'm not going to push it on him, but if it's what he decides, then you know I'm going to encourage him 100. percent Now, obviously. Like every sport, professional wrestling is always bringing in new talent, always getting new wrestlers joining the ranks. There's always going to be rookies out there and young talent. Otherwise, the business would slowly die. Based on what you've seen in the last year or two, who do you think are some of the new young rookies out there that might be some of the top stars in the near future? Uh, uh, Kenny Nine, uh, I would say Commander Charisma, I would say uh, uh, still a big fan of uh, Joey Ranson. There was a Preston Stone. Yeah, I think those guys are going to be uh, some some guys to watch out for here soon. One of the other aspects of pro wrestling that oftentimes gets overlooked is the role of the referee. A lot of times, fans and a lot of times even promoters don't appreciate how much a referee can offer to help a show. They oftentimes can save a bad match from being too bad. They can help a good match become a great match if they know what they're doing. A lot of promoters will sadly just put anyone off the streets into a black and white shirt and send them to the ring, which usually leads to disaster. Who do you think are some of the better referees that you've worked with in your career? Um, uh, Deb Elias, uh, J.R. Greer. Uh, we just uh, lost, uh, lost one last year, Randy Ebright. He was certainly uh, he was something special for sure. One of the other overlooked 
parts of pro wrestling is the ring announcer. They usually are the person that fans assume has authority on a wrestling show, whether they actually do or not. A lot of fans will see them in a suit or a tuxedo and just presume that they're somehow in power. The ring announcer is the person that is in charge of making sure fans know how and where to spend their money during the course of a show and afterwards so they can come back and spend some more. Sadly enough, a lot of promoters don't always appreciate how important a good ring announcer actually is to their show. Who do you think are some of the best ring announcers that you've worked with in your career? Warren Anderson and uh, Kelly Lynn. A part of wrestling that has always been part of the wrestling industry is bloodshed in wrestling. It's just something that because wrestling is a contact sport, has always been there. But in the last several years, as medical science has learned more about bloodborne pathogens and diseases, a lot of people that follow wrestling and work in wrestling have shied away from trying to have blood on shows. A lot of people feel that there is no place in the current landscape of things for blood on shows, a lot of companies have blood on every single show. We still see a lot of deathmatch wrestling out there that always means there's going to be blood. For you personally, where do you stand when it comes to blood during the course of a wrestling show? Well, I certainly don't think that every match needs it. I would say, you know, if it's necessary, if it's a necessary part to tell the story, you know, the actions aren't that heated, the rivalry is that hot, then absolutely it's necessary. Um, but I certainly don't think that you need it in every match. Um, you know, but on the other side of that, it does happen. You know, um, you know, in my big hands, you know, when I start throwing punches, sometimes I pop you in the nose, sometimes I pop you in the, in the lips, and it, you know, it happens. Um, well, I should say, you know, no means in a purpose. Um, again, you know, unless all rivalry is that hot and all matches that needed. Of course, blood doesn't always mean deathmatch wrestling, but deathmatch wrestling has a niche audience within wrestling fandom. There are promotions that do only death matches. Some companies do annual death match tournaments for one night. Uh, some wrestlers make really good careers out of being death match wrestlers, while some only do the sporadic death match. I know everybody has a personal preference when it comes to participating in such or not. Where do you stand when it comes to the deathmatch wrestling aspect? I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan 
of all contact sports. Um, I don't really particularly uh, see the draw to deathmatch. I mean, it is obviously a form of uh, wrestling. It's, it, it's way out there. But uh, I'm more about telling the story in the ring. So deathmatch for me is like um, is, is like the ugly cousin we don't really want to talk about, um, you know, because it's there and it can have a, a purpose. But again, you know, um, that goes right along with how I feel about blood. You know, if if the storyline is there, if the, if, if the the hatred between the two guys is that intense, then then yeah, I think it has a purpose. But to do a death match just because oh we gotta shake things up, we gotta do something different, um, it it cheapens it. Now, in your career, I'm sure you've been on shows with a lot of guys that maybe aren't necessarily deathmatch wrestlers, but guys that do a lot of the hardcore wrestling, a lot of the brawling guys like Madman Pondo, Abdul the Butcher, Kevin Sullivan, Necro Butcher, people of that ilk. Who would you say is the most insane hardcore brawling type of wrestler that you've ever fought against? Uh, fought against uh, would have to be Mickey Knuckles. Um, I, haven't, I haven't wrestled too many um, deathmatch wrestlers, but um, I had a match with Mickey Knuckles uh, oh, probably 10 years ago. Um, uh, and so, yeah, that would have to be it. And I've, I've done shows with uh, some of the others, uh, Madman Pondo, um, Necro Butcher, but the only one I ever actually worked was Mickey. From personal experiences, she hits hard. I'm sorry? But from my own personal experiences, she hits hard. Um, yes, she can. Yes, yes, she can. Also, sort of a niche audience in wrestling that has become a little bit more mainstream in the last few years is women's wrestling. It used to be sort of filler, and they would put the women's match right before the main event usually. Not a lot of emphasis on it. Uh, You would see women's promotions like Glow and Wow that were gimmicky and not really serious about the actual wrestling part, but in the last few years, we've seen women elevate to where they main event standard wrestling promotions, such as WWE and AEW. We see all women's promotions like Shine and Shimmer that are very serious about the wrestling. How do you see where we are at right now as far as women's wrestling, as far as what the marketplace will allow for it and what the fans accept? Well, I think it's certainly come a long way. Um, Even from 10, 13 years ago, when my ex-wife was, uh, my wife at the time, uh, when she was getting into it, I mean, like you said, it was a filler, or it was a very, um, you know, very uh, niche uh, uh, thing where, you know, this show didn't have any women, but this show really wanted some women. And um, there were, uh, once my ex-wife was trained, um, 
it was a good three years where she and I were going every weekend, three times a weekend, to different shows. And, you know, um, and, and a lot of it was, was, was her. I mean, you know, she was just, it, it was such a rare thing. And unfortunately, a lot of times we would get to a show and the girl was either afraid of the ex-wife or, or uh, you know, they had some other excuse for they couldn't make it. And rather than her match getting scrapped, I would tell the promoter, no, you find someone to wrestle her, even if it's me. Because I believe in women wrestling. I'm a huge proponent of it, and I always will be. I think that, you know, they should be treated, you know, at least the same as the guys. But, I mean, you know, a lot of times, you know, I I don't know. they, They were cast aside. They were, you know cut from the feed or cut from the show and it wasn't right and I still don't think it's right. One of the other parts of pro wrestling that we don't see as often anymore but there are still promotions that tour across North America is midget wrestling. You very seldom see on mainstream shows, especially at the national level, midget wrestling, but there's a lot of really good midget wrestlers out there. A lot of fans come out to the all-midget shows whenever they tour. What do you think about midget wrestling as it relates to the business in 2023? Uh, I'll see, see, you know, midget wrestling the same as I'll see um, ladies wrestling, you know, that should be treated with the same dignity as respect. Uh, I've done shows with midgets. They're, they're, they're people too, and you know they their wrestling, you know, um, shouldn't be laughed at. It shouldn't be, uh, you know, cut because we couldn't find an opponent. You know, um, my, my ex-wife wrestled um, Pinky Shortcake a, a handful of times, and they put on a hell of a match. One of the things that professional wrestlers use to make their money, especially at the independent level, is merchandise. Merchandise in the last few years has become a very important part of independent professional wrestling because a lot of times wrestlers make more at selling merchandise than they do even for wrestling on the shows. What type of merchandise have you had throughout your career? Um, t-shirts were the, uh, are the number one thing. I started making my own t-shirts, me and Max Boyd. We were making our own t-shirts. Before anybody else at any of the other shows we were going to, uh, we had shirts. And then, you know, it got to the point where, um, you know, we, we, we were screen printing, and it, it just became so much that we had to hire someone else to do it. Um, but now I've got, I've got a huge suitcase just full of merchandise. I've got uh, wrestling buddies that look like me. I've got uh, plastic top hats with me, British Roller logo on them. Um, I've got uh, lanyards and um, necklaces and earrings with the little skulls and top hats um, that, 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 you know, that kids make for me. Um, uh, yeah, I've got a lot. But, but yeah, T-shirts are definitely the number one thing. You've probably been on enough shows that you've seen a wide variety of strange things pop up on merchandise tables over the years. If wrestlers can 
make a buck at it. They will usually try to sell it. What's the strangest thing that you've seen a wrestler selling on a merchandise table? Uh, I think one wrestler uh, had a few teeth and a lock of his hair. Was it Dan Housen? Oh, no, I don't think it was Dan Housen. Makes it even stranger then. Another important aspect in wrestling over the last few years, especially when we went into the COVID restrictions a few years ago, is streaming wrestling shows. There, of course, was the WWE Network. Impact Wrestling had its own streaming service. Ring of Honor had the Honor Club. And once the restrictions started hitting, you saw more and more independent companies live streaming shows with no fans, just trying to keep their name out there, trying to stay in business that way. There are proponents on both sides of live streaming shows. Some feel it hurts because it will affect live ticket sales ultimately if people decide to stay home and watch. A lot of people feel that it builds a bigger, broader fan base that allows the company to possibly travel outside of its home base. We're still early in the days of live streaming wrestling, to be honest, but where do you think live streaming wrestling ultimately will put the wrestling business, especially at the independent level? Well, it's going to hurt the independent level uh, because you've got too many promoters who aren't aren't honest and don't don't treat their boys right, you know. Um, too many times, too many times, I've watched shows where the promoter, you know, comes up to you and, hey, sorry, brother, uh, the gate didn't draw as much as I thought, so I can't pay you. Um, that should never happen. An independent show should not be based off of the, the, the crowd attendance. It shouldn't. It's paying the boys, paying the wrestlers, paying the reason you're there shouldn't depend on the asses in the seats. That's how you, the promoter, recoup your money. And if you can't put asses in seats, then it's not your performers who should be getting stiffed. That's on you. So I think live streaming events is not is not going to do the independent level any good because you've got too many dishonest promoters. One of the things that a lot of wrestlers eventually will gravitate towards, especially when they're thinking of getting out of the ring themselves, is owning a promotion. We've seen many wrestlers open up their own companies and continue on in the business as a promoter owner is owning your own company something that you've ever considered oh i own my own company now aha now what led you to get into the promoting aspect of it all the other dishonest promoters in the area understood now, when you start your own company, 
there's usually going to be a period of time where you have to build your audience and get word out and so forth and so on. It takes time to really build the brand up before you're solidified in the marketplace. When you were starting up, how long do you think it took before your fan base really got solid and was aware that you were in the marketplace? I'd say a good three years. One of the other roles that wrestlers tend to gravitate towards at some point is the role of trainer. A lot of wrestlers will open up wrestling schools, especially if they have a company, they will open up a school attached to it to train a new crop of wrestlers. Do you personally train new wrestlers, or do you have someone that works with you that does training for your company? Well, before COVID-19, and before I really started my own company, I was actually uh, training guys for Dan Severn at his Michigan sports camp in Coldwater, Michigan. Uh, Dan Severn is a very reputed uh, professional wrestler, very reputed amateur wrestler. What was the process for you like to be able to have a position with him where you're teaching at his school? Uh, one of the other uh, wrestlers that I know um, had mentioned that, you know, they had trained with him, they had trained with him um, and that, uh, you know, he was looking for someone. So I drove up there and introduced myself. Now, Dan had already knew who I was. He had seen me work, uh, which was very very mind-blowing because, you know, here I am, just an indie guy, and Dan the Beast 7 knows who I am. So um, that was very humbling. <laughs> but, um, you know, he told me what he was looking for, and um, uh, I believe I worked a match with uh, one of the guys there, and he, you know, he loved what I did and how I did it, and, you know, um, asked me if I would train a class of guys for him. So I started doing that. And then, like I said, um, COVID-19 shut everything down. And Dan stays so busy. He is constantly on the road uh, doing seminars, doing training, doing uh, just a little bit of everything. So um, if he didn't have to be there at the training facility for me to run training. But when COVID-19 shut everything down, um, you know, he just uh, – he stayed so busy that he hasn't returned – to turn the lights back on and, you know, see, hey, you know, are there still enough guys, uh, you know, to, to open back up? So. Obviously, in today's marketplace, professional wrestling has a lot more options as far as the national scene. You have WWE, AEW, Impact. You have WOW Women of Wrestling on the national scene. You have MLW. There's a lot more options than there were 15 to 20 years ago for wrestlers that are striving to get to that national spot. If someone came to you today and they wanted 
as their goal in life to get one of those national spots as someone that has been on the independence for quite a while and that has seen people leave the independence to go to that stage what would your advice be to them different take what you know and make it unique because that's what people are looking for they're not looking for another guy in camo pants they're not looking for another guy in blue jeans and a cowboy hat they're looking for something different oh at the independent level a lot of times wrestlers will gravitate towards what they see on television whether it is a look or whether it is a style or doing certain moves they will gravitate towards what they watched on tv the week before as someone that both wrestles and owns a company and trains a new generation of wrestlers do you think that ultimately that's a disservice as well when they imitate what they see on TV, or do you think that possibly helps them when they do get a chance with the national guys? As, as long as they can take what they see on the TV and put their own unique twist on it, then that can be helpful. But if you, but if you were just straight imitating what you're seeing someone else doing without making it your own, then, then, yeah, it's definitely a disservice. Now, if someone today was listening to this and they have never stepped foot into a wrestling ring before, but their goal in life is to become a professional wrestler no matter what level it is, what is the advice you would give to that person today? Don't give up. Once you set your mind to it, don't give up. You're going to have so many people telling you, you're too old, you're too short, you're too fat, you're too slow. Don't give up. You take all that negativity that they throw at you, and you use that as fuel to keep going. I've seen so many guys that just get frustrated and then give up. And... That's the worst thing you can do, you know, especially if you've already learned the bumps. You've already got the basic moves. You've done, you know, a lot of the, most of the hard parts. There's so many people that I've tried to train, and they can't even get over the basic bumps. You know, they just, they can't make their mind accept that they are throwing the body down. And it, 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 that's the hard part. Once you've got that method, don't give up. If you're struggling with an aspect of, of a character, change it up. You know, if, you, if you're that stuck on it, you know, ask, ask someone else's advice. You know, if, if you, you can't decide on a gear pattern, ask someone else's advice. But don't give up because you are frustrated. Now, we talk about aggressive fans and fans that were difficult earlier. On the flip side of that, every wrestler usually has that one defining moment with a fan that stands out as a particular favorite moment, whether 
a fan said something to them or gave them a gift or something happened during the course of the match that stood out to make the wrestler really appreciate that fan. Do you have that particular standout moment with the fan? Absolutely. Of uh, when I was uh, when I was very young and just getting started, like my second or third year in, um, we did a, a benefit show uh, for this uh, church, and um, the kids uh, the, the kids made some of us cards, uh, handmade cards, um, and I've still got those in my gear bag to this day. One of the things that a lot of young wrestlers starting out often don't take into account as being important is the gear bag. It's where you keep all the tools of your trade, and a lot of people starting out don't put a lot of thought into that. What would you give as advice to someone that is starting their wrestling career and they need a proper bag to store everything that they need? Well, yeah, you definitely need um, a, a, a big bag and always carry your gear with you and always have an extra an extra set of gear. You know, you don't want to show up to a show and, you know, you've been trying to get on the show. The promoter finally says, hey, kid, I'll go to sport for you. And then the only gear you have is your black gear your basic black gear, and that's all your opponent has. I mean, you've just killed, you've just killed the imagery right there. So always have spare gear that's of a different color. That's, uh, I cannot preach that enough. As a promoter, when you're looking to book a wrestler, do you look at what type of gear that they generally use? Are you looking at how they present themselves or are you more interested in how they wrestle? All of the above. Um, you know, the first thing I'll ask them, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll check out the, the promo pics and the videos they sent me. Um, and, and, you know, if, if I don't want the gear, I'll ask them, do you have any other gear? Because I don't want you showing up full shorts and, you know, black black boots and a, and a black tank top. That's the worst. You know, <laughs> I, I am not going to book you if that's all you got. <laughs> Just as a rough estimate, how many booking queries do you field every week from wrestlers trying to get onto your shows? Hmm. <sighs> Um, it's, I mean, obviously, it's slowed down at the end of the year, but it's starting to pick back up. I've got probably half a dozen uh, every week that I'm, I'm getting now. Well, we're down to the last few minutes of the show, and I want to make sure there is plenty of time for you to say anything you would like, plug and promote anything you would like, upcoming shows, merchandise, social medias, whatever you would like. Floor is all yours. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me on the show. Um, it's it's always an honor when someone reaches out to me and, you know, hey, we've got this show, we'd like you to be on it, so thank you. Um, yeah, uh, I own Supreme Pro Wrestling. If you want to uh, look that up on Facebook, it's uh, Supreme Pro Wrestling Indiana. Um, our logo is the real Supreme Pro Wrestling. It looks like the real Ghostbusters. Um, uh, we should have uh, – 
uh, a schedule, tentative schedule coming up soon. I know we've got some big things this year. Um, but most importantly, um, you know, uh, make sure you follow my YouTube channel. Just, uh, you just Google Preston Churchill and it will pop right up, Facebook, YouTube, all that stuff. Um, I do regular giveaways uh, on my YouTube channel on uh, a beer with the brawler or breakfast with the brawler, um, you know, usually, you know, T-shirts or sometimes the, the plastic top hats. I even gave away a wrestling buddy last year, so I've got those. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've got the new uh, – I haven't, I haven't uh, shown them yet, but I finally got my 20-year uh, T-shirts coming up. So I ordered them last year, but I had to, had to reorder them. Uh, things got mixed up, uh, a little bit of bollocks. But <laughs> uh, I've got them coming out now, and they look fantastic, and they are glow in the dark which is something I've always wanted to do. Well, President Churchill, it has been a pleasure to have you on the show today. We definitely appreciate you taking the time to be here. Best of luck to you as you continue with your career. Hopefully everything will be great for you in 2023, and we'll have to do this again sometime. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. All right, fans, if you've not done so, go search out Preston Churchill on the YouTubes. Great performer. Go check out his show if you are in the area. We will be back with you Sunday afternoon. We have Sunny Days coming back to the show, our very own Pacific Northwest Ladies Champion, member of the Real School Army. She will be back with us. You can find me tomorrow at Northwest Pro in Vaughn, Washington, also, you can find Coach Mike Jones in Arlington for CPW as they present theatrical wrestling. So everybody stay safe out there. Go support your local independent wherever it may be. And we will talk to you very soon.